Mexico your whole life? Just raise your hand. How many of you guys moved from someplace else then? Obviously. Okay. Um, I posted something on Facebook this morning that I thought about, and I've already, my whole inbox is just lit up. But I, uh, I asked, what is the hardest thing about making a transition from where you were to where you're going? And, and for, you know, most people, um, there's something that, that seems to be pretty significant. And it seems to be friends, family, and routines of what you used to have. You know, when we moved away from Phoenix, I remember it was, it was all about eating Phoenix food and not New Because trying to transition to New Mexican food took, took quite a while. It, it took, and now it's, when you leave here, you'd be like, oh, man, I'm going to miss Blake's, and I'm going to miss Dion's. And I'm gonna, I mean, those things are going to be all the things that kind of pour out. But I, I found some things online, and it says you know you're from New Mexico, or at least you've lived there for a while, if... You had a school day canceled because there was a chance it might snow. <laughs> you know what an arroyo is. Your high school name was probably a Spanish word like La Cueva, El Dorado, Sandia, Manzano, or Rio Rancho. You believe that bags of sand with a candle in them are perfectly acceptable at Christmas decorations. Most restaurants you go to begin with El or Los. You think a red light is merely a suggestion. You believe using a turn signal is a sign of weakness. You don't make eye contact with other drivers because you can't tell how well they armed are they are just by looking at them. You think six tons of crushed rock makes a beautiful front lawn? Yes. You can't control your car on wet pavement? You wish you had invested in the orange barrel business? All of your out-of-state friends and relatives only visit the first week of October? When someone says Las Vegas, you ask which one? And you know the response to the question, red or green. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Depends. If it's if it's a breakfast burrito, then it's definitely red. And if it's enchiladas, yeah, it all depends on what restaurant, too. See, we all know. We all know exactly what it is. And and for those people, yeah, Christmas on the side. Come on. Yeah. And see, last night I didn't ask these questions to everybody. I jumped right into the message and just kind of pounded them with a question. And I think they all went, oh. So I said, you know what, we need to lighten it up a little bit and get into it. Because making a change from something... It's pretty significant. Now, think about when you moved here or if you ever move away from here, and hopefully you never move away from here, but, but when that happens, there's going to be things that you miss. There's going to be things that, that change. And um, as it does, you know, people who have moved here, I, I talk to lots of people who move here, and they live here for about two years, and then they move away. And because they just can't quite get used to New Mexico. New Mexico is a whole different breed. I, mean, I grew up in Arizona, one state away, still in the southwest, still full of of all different cultures that have mixed and collided, and it's nothing like New Mexico. And if you're from someplace else, you know exactly what I mean. If you've lived here your whole life, you have no idea what I'm talking about. This week, I talked to a guy that moved here from Michigan. And as I talked to him, I just was shaking my head going, you're not going to make it. He's like, oh, I, I moved here for a job. I'm working at Presbyterian. I'm like, as soon as you find another job, you're leaving. I just, I can tell just by looking at your face and talking to you. Because I'm like, how do you like it here? And he kind of went, huh, you know what I mean? It's, it's all right. And I'm like, it's all right because you're getting a paycheck, and where you came from, you weren't. That's the only reason why it's all right. You could tell that just by talking to him. But you got to think about this for just a second. Let's say that, that God called you to be a missionary. God called you to go somewhere else, and, and it might be Thailand. We have uh, some missionaries in Nepal right now, and I've been following them on Facebook and following their blog and talking about how much they love it. I had a chance to talk to Will uh, Goldberg, who's one of the ones, uh, one of our missionaries. He and his wife, Julie, are over there, and uh, had a chance to talk to Will, and he's like, well, there's some getting used to uh, if you are an American, or if you're, actually, if you're just not uh, from Nepal, if you're not a Nepali, you have to hire a Nepali to work for you. 
It's one of the rules in the country. You have to hire. So they have a house cleaner that they pay literally a quarter an hour to come and, and work for them because they want to make sure that money is getting into there. And for a quarter an hour, I was like, wow, that, that's just crazy. But he said it, it's so different to have somebody come in and, first of all, clean your house. And second of all, he was talking about they, they have to go down and they do their laundry in the water area. And it's this giant thing where people get fresh water, I guess, that's coming off of this, out of these spouts. It's, it's like a giant pool. And you get your fresh water to drink out of the top, and you wash your laundry, and the water is down on the bottom. And I was like, ooh, you know, that that's a little, takes a little bit to get it used to. And, you know, they have, a, they have a son about Cameron's age that trying to get used to some of the things they're doing. You know, they, they close the school down for their protests, and they have protests about once a week because it's always so crazy, and there's always something going on. Think about that change and how much they're missing New Mexican food right now. You know, they, they lived here, and, they, and they're, they're looking for, I think she actually, they're coming home this week. And, but she put home. I don't know if she meant home here or home somewhere in the United States. But you got to think they're probably pretty excited about coming home. No matter how much they love being there, coming home is something great. Now, I want you to picture Jesus. Jesus, Son of God, in heaven, from the beginning, with God, came here. You think moving from Arizona to New Mexico is bad? Or from some other place? Or going over to Nepal? Imagine coming from perfection to a fallen world. Imagine that just for a second. How many people struggle with the fact that God became man? How many people can't quite wrap their mind around? I mean, we, we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate everything that it is about Jesus' birth, about him coming from heaven to, to earth, putting on flesh, the, the, the word incarnation, to be wrapped in meat. That's what Jesus did. How hard is it for people to wrap their minds around that? How hard is it for you to wrap your mind around that? Because why did he come? Why did Jesus come to this earth? And that's a question I think a lot of people ask. This week I went to a funeral. This week I, I, uh, I hate to say I had the privilege to, but as a, as a newly sworn in rear rancher chaplain, they asked us to be at the, the, the funeral for Sergeant Robert Barron. And it was over here at the Santa Ana Star Center. And it was, a, it was an, an amazing funeral. It really was. And there were uh, uniformed officers on the entire floor, about probably about 800 of them. And the, the floor was full, and there were people sitting around the outside over at the Santa Ana Star Center. And just sitting and watching it, I was watching people's faces, and I was listening to what was being said. And you have all these officers in there that are getting this reality check that tomorrow is not a guarantee, especially in their line of work. And they're sitting there, and they're, they're taking all this in, and the wife gets up to speak. And when she gets up to speak, um, she is also an officer with the U.S. Forest Service. She gets up to speak, and I was like, wow, what an amazing amount of strength she must have to, to stand up there and, and speak at her husband's funeral. And I, I got to thinking about all these different things that were going on, and all the things were being said, and Jesus' name was pronounced over and over and over again. And all these officers got a chance to hear it. But when she stood up, she stood up with a hope. With a hope that said, I understand where my husband's at. And I understand that I will see him again soon. And I understand all of these things. And, and as she did that, she laid that out to people who maybe don't have hope. Or they have hope in all different sorts of things. And as I, I listened to everything that was being said, one thing really stood out to me. 
And it wasn't even the words that were spoken. It was as the urn came in, and on one side was Sandoval County Sheriff's officers walking down this side, and on this side was uh, all the U.S. Forest Service officers, and they all came in. They, they were walking behind the urn, and right, behi- right in front of them, though, was the family. And it was the wife. It was his son, Coulter. It was uh, his mom and his sister. And as they walked in, I saw the son, Coulter, 10-year-old son, gripping a teddy bear, wearing a a sheriff's vest, and just walking in with his mom's arm around him. And as he walked in, I, that's when I started to hurt for him. That's, that's when it became very real about this idea of hope. Because what is going to go through that 10-year-old's mind about, about Jesus, about who this God is that took his dad from him? And how does that come down? And we talked about it a little bit on, on Friday morning during the men's Bible study, that it's, it's about what the parents have passed down to them passed down to him to say there is hope in jesus that this world is a fallen world this world is a condemned world as we will look at today this world isn't our home it's just our temporary residence and everybody at some point in time will pass on to the next one and there's either hope that you're going like we talked about last week or there's hope that you're not or there's there's no hope actually in that and where are they at where are people at and as I looked and I thought about, thought about this, this family, as they walked in, because, you know, I've, I've unfortunately had the experience of, of being a kid and, and working uh, with my brothers and sisters in this as well, uh, of losing a parent at, at a young age. And it's all great when the, everybody's surrounding you and everybody's saying, oh, it's all going to be okay. And two weeks later, when everybody's gone, they go back to their normal routines and there is no more normal routine for you. So, so what happens to Coulter? What happens to, to, to Cretia, his wife? What happens in that situation? And the answer is, is they go back to Jesus. They, they understand who Jesus is, that he didn't leave them. He doesn't go back to normal routine. He is there. He is a comforter. And I know it sounds like a pat Christian answer. It sounds like, hey, you're the pastor. That's what you have to say. But that is what I truly believe with all my heart, that Jesus is the hope of this world. And that is the reason why he came, is to bring hope. And see, there's, there's philosophers. There are um, people who say the same thing over and over and over again that I hear, that, that Christianity is a crutch. As a matter of fact, there's a philosopher. His name was Ludwig Feuerbach. And in 1841, he said that God is not a reality outside of us that we can trust and obey. Instead, he is a projection of our own needs onto reality. Basically, we create God because we need hope. Instead of God creating us and saying, here is hope, it's us creating a God so we can say, this is what I can trust in. And it's amazing to think about people outside of the church that, that believe that kind of thing. You know, how many, how many people eat from a spiritual buffet to get their hope? They take something here from Islam, and they take something here from, from the Muslim religion, and they take something here from, from Christianity, and something here from Christian science, and they kind of mix it all together and say, this is what gives me hope. This is what makes me happy. This is what makes me know that I can, I can make it. You know, it, it's funny because we even sitting here, and we, we might be thinking, oh, there's, that's, just, that's just people on the outside. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a little, little heads up here from Cowboy fans. Um, Today, the Packers play the Cowboys, and uh, whoever loses is out of the playoffs. Whoever wins is probably out of the playoffs, either, too, but, but it, it, for sure, they're out of the playoffs if they lose today, and I'm thinking, last week, I got home, and last week, when I got home, the Packers were playing the Falcons, and it was halftime, and they were losing 21 to 10, and I went, and I put on my Packers shirt, 
And it's a long sleeve Packer shirt, dark green, with a big G in the middle of it. And when I put it on, the Falcons didn't score anymore, and the Packers won. Just letting you know, as soon as I get home, it's only weird if it doesn't work, exactly. As soon as I get home, I am putting that shirt on. Just, I almost preached it today, but I didn't want to get it sweaty. So I, I, I was, I was, I'm not joking, and some of you guys are going to be knocking on my door. Take the shirt off! You know, that's what you're going to be saying. But it's only weird if it doesn't work, right? I mean, and, and we, we will take those same type of superstitions, even though that's just as crazy and out there as it probably gets, but I will wear that shirt today. Um, and I'll probably wear it on Monday night to make sure the lion's loose, you know, those kind of things. But the, we take those kind of superstitions and we apply them to God. That, well, hey, God, you know, I did this really good thing, so you must have to do this for me. Even though it's not in the Bible, even though it's not written anywhere, we have projected that onto God. And that's what this Ludwig Furbach said, is that we create hope. And then, in fact, we create a God to give us hope. So the question this Christmas season is, did we create this whole Christmas story for hope, or did God create this Christmas story to give us hope? Which one is it? Because you really do have to decide. You really do have to come down and say, why did Jesus come, and did Jesus coming really happen? Well, I'm going to tell you something. I believe this Bible right here, to be the inerrant word of God without error. I believe it to be the story that God wanted to tell us. All the things that he needed us to know is right in here. And he's got other things that he didn't need us to know. That's the reason why it's not in there, and that's the reason why we argue about it. You know, that is, that's w- what this Bible is for. And I believe this Bible has power in it. And the Bible itself, it says that it has the power to penetrate, to penetrate our hearts and to penetrate our minds and to penetrate between bone and marrow, to, to cut right into us. And I believe if somebody were to give this Bible a chance, some atheist out there, somebody who's an agnostic that just says, hey, there might be a God, if they gave this Bible a chance, there is no moral possibility that they could reject it. Now, they might reject it physically, and they might try and reject it mentally, but there's no moral way they could say that's not true if they gave it a chance. They allow God to speak. And I want you to know this. The answer to the question we just asked, is hope something that we have created by creating a Christmas story and by creating a God? Or is hope something that God has created by creating a Christmas story and and being there as God? That question, the answer to that question is the most important question I think you will ever answer in your entire life. The most important question you will ever answer. Because is it the fact we have hope? Because we've created it and we've created God. Or is it we have hope that God has created us and he's created a way for us to have salvation? It's a very important thing and a very important way to look at it. And there's, there's testimonies throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible that says this is, this is what the Bible is and this is why Jesus came and this is why Jesus is real. And this is everything about it. So I want to let six witnesses from the Bible tell you six reasons why Jesus came. And there are millions and millions of reasons that Jesus came. Every name that is in this room is a reason why Jesus came. But I want to give you six very pointed reasons on why Jesus came. And as you're probably wondering, well, haven't we been going through the Gospels? Aren't we supposed to be on John 3.17 like we did last week? John 3.17 and 18 will be our last two verses we do today. So they, we will get to that, I promise. But 
I want to get to that point on what it is. And there, here's six reasons. If you have your bu- bulletins, uh, you'll see there's a note page in there. If you don't have a bulletin or don't want to write things down, you can actually open up version on your phone. And we have a live event there that you can take notes on that has the, the Bible verses and everything you want to do. So if you have version on your phone, you can do that. Here's the six reasons why Jesus came. And I'll give you the answers right up front. And then if you miss them, we'll go through and kind of dig a little deeper into them. Here's what it is. To ransom many. The Son of God came into the world to ransom many. To call sinners. To give sight to the morally blind. To divide households. To give eternal life. And to save us from condemnation. So, here's the question. Are these imaginary acts created by men? Or are they something that we truly need? That's what we have to decide. And I'm hoping that we'll have a chance to explain those, each one of them, as we go. Number one says this, He came as a ransom for many. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why do we need a ransom? Why do we need a ransom? What is a ransom? A ransom is a payment for somebody who has been taken, for somebody who is enslaved in slavery. And you know what? Jesus had to pay a ransom because we are enslaved to sin, and we are enslaved to death, and we are enslaved to the devil. And Jesus had to pay that ransom to take us away. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, Paul tells us this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption and sonship. That word redeem, I think sometimes we forget what it means or, or why it's there. But kids, have you guys ever gone to Chuck E. Cheese and you win all the little tickets at the, at the ski ball? You have to go redeem those tickets to get your prize. And we have been redeemed. Jesus paid the price to get us as a prize. And that's what he did. He paid the ransom for us. He redeemed us so we could be a part of God's family. Isn't that an amazing thing? Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. In other words, Christ took on human flesh strictly to die. Why did Jesus come to this world? He came to die, to pay the ransom for many. That is why he came. He also came, number two, to call sinners to repentance. Luke 5, 31 and 32 says, Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. I mean, first, there needed to be a ransom paid. And then, there needed to be a call to the sinners. That call that went out to the sinners wouldn't have mattered if the ransom had not been paid. That call that went out is Jesus calling us. And you know, he didn't use anybody else. He himself came down from heaven to ransom and to redeem and to call the sinners to repentance. The third thing is this. He came to give sight to the morally blind. John nine thirty nine says, For judgment, I have come into this world so the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And John twelve forty six says, I have come into this world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Not only did he ransom us, not only did he call us, but he called us out of darkness. And he opened our eyes. There are so many people that are walking around, eating on that spiritual buffet, that are blind to what the actual truth is. They think they know, but they don't. And he came to open our eyes. Because I tell you, there's sometimes that I hear people's logic 
especially movie stars, they'll talk about their religious beliefs and they'll get on. And you're like, what are you talking about? How could you possibly think that's even close to true? Yet they are fully involved in it because they are blind. They are sitting in darkness. And that is exactly what the devil wants. And Jesus came to open eyes. For he came to divide households. Now that sounds a bit, a bit heavy. Listen to what the verse says, Matthew 10, 34. It says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Isn't that funny how many peace songs we sing at Christmas time? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And that sword, as he goes on to say, will divide mother from father. It'll divide dad from son. It'll divide families up. And God didn't come to bring division to households, even though many of you at Christmas time want your families divided. Once they get there, you're like, please leave. You know, that is the, that is the thinking that you have. But God didn't come to say, I want to divide up your households. But what he did want to say was, is I want your allegiance to be so powerful for me that if somebody were to say, hey, I, I, I don't really like that much, the tension there says, I'm more into following Jesus than to making you happy. I'm more about being in one with Jesus than worrying about what my family might think. That is what he's saying there. And I'll tell you, it's amazing what happens when Jesus comes into our lives. There's a whole new vision, a whole new sight, a whole new way of thinking, a whole new life that comes in. And those things can create a tension between you and other family members. And when that happens, when we start acting differently, and we start talking differently, and we feel things differently, it's going to create a problem. But that's the reason why Jesus came into this world. The fifth thing is he came to give us eternal life. He came to give us eternal life. John 3.16, we talked about last week, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, we talked about last week, how do people bear the downs in this life without Jesus? As I sat and I watched those, those officers struggle with the reality that death is real and watched other family members that were around struggle with the reality that death is real. And, you know, funerals are really the only time we think about it, unless you're walking around just really, really morbid. You, you, you don't think about the fact that at any moment life could be done. I, I started talking to Christy about it. I said, you know, um, It'd be weird, but how cool it would be sometime to preach my own funeral. And I know that sounds sick, um, but I th- said, you know, I could easily sit down and, and videotape myself and, and preach my own funeral and say, there's a file on the computer. When I die, click it, open it, and I'll probably have to update it every couple of months because I would hate to be like 30 and then at 70. Here's Matt talking, you know, but um, <laughs> that'd be weird, but... Um, the, the whole thought process of it was, you know, how do you communicate with people that, that death is real and that there is a hope on the other side? And I see this and I, I see this idea that, that Jesus came to give us eternal life, to give us hope. Not, not as a, an earned something or other, but as a gift. It is the gift of God. Now, I'm not sure about you, but Christmas is 10 days away. I can't, I can't believe it. It's like my mind's like, whoa, 10 days away. On Christmas morning, I'm pretty sure, now I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure you're not going to give your best kid who acts the best, the biggest and best gift, and the one who doesn't act so good, the, you know, not so good gift. You know, they don't have to earn, and now I might be, I might be, you know, maybe you do. Maybe that's the reason why you're just all looking at me weird, like, 
what? What's wrong with that? You know, but, you know, earning something does not make it a gift. Earning something makes it a wage. Earning something makes it a payment, not a gift. A gift is given freely. And, and that is what we need to understand at this Christmas season, that God gave us the gift of eternal life, not something we have to earn, not something that we even deserved, but the greatest gift of all is found in that this Christmas. The sixth one is our verse today. Our passage today, he came to save us from condemnation. Like I said, it's not my normal pattern to add it at the end of the message, but it seemed like the best one to wrap it up with. John three seventeen and 18 said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, God sent his Son to save us from his own condemnation and wrath. The need for salvation right here implies that we had something we had to be saved from. There was a danger for us to be saved from. And that danger, while we could list out sin and death and the devil, those are all true. The biggest danger was the condemnation of God. And some people say, well, you know, if, if God is for us, then we have no problems. That's exactly right. But if God is against us, there's nothing that else can save us. There's nothing else that's there. See, this message, I think, gets lost in the Christmas season. We'll, we'll put out the nativity sets and see baby Jesus there in front of us, or as Maley calls it, the activity set. Um, we, we have those out in our front yard, and people see it, and they say, oh, that's exactly what it is. Even non-Christians put Jesus, baby Jesus out there for that kind of thing. And that message gets lost, though. And we'll sing old Christmas carols that all talk about Jesus the Savior, and you walk through the malls, and they're talking about separation of church and state. No, they're talking about Jesus coming to, to be born again on this earth, and, you know, all the things that came to save us from our, ourselves. Save us from the condemnation. Some people say, well, is it that we earn condemnation? No, condemnation happened at the beginning. Genesis 2.17 says that the, the day that, that they ate from the tree of, of knowledge, they were going to surely die. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. It's been passed down and passed down and passed down to right to us. When I was a kid, my grandfather used to, um, well, he, he, was, he was a great influence in my life. And he, he would always uh, make sure that I was doing something, I guess, because idle hands are the devil's work kind of mentality. But he would always have me out digging ditches or wake me up at 4.30 in the morning to help him shovel out a driveway so we could pour concrete in it before school started. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm not even joking. This is, this is the way it was. Um, and, or we would go hunting, and he would make me do the walking while he didn't. And, you know, all those kind of things would, would be the, the way my grandfather was. But one thing, that every time we were together, He'd have Christian radio on, and he'd make me listen to Paul Harvey. I'm not sure if you guys remember Paul Harvey. But there was one story in particular when, as we struggle with the idea of why would God leave heaven and come down here? And we struggle with the thought of, of that incarnation and, and saying that he wanted to save the world, not condemn the world, because the world was already condemned. Why would he do that? And wrap our minds around it because we are just so smart sometimes that it's, it's actually for our, not for our own good. We're too smart for our own good. And, and we, we see this. And I remember there was a Paul Harvey story. And it was one of those ones that it stuck in my mind. And I was like, wow, that would be great for this message. I wonder if I could find it on YouTube. Well, it's amazing what you can find on YouTube because sure enough, I found it. So what I would like to do is I would like, it's going to take about four, four minutes or so. I would like for you to, to listen to the story and, and wrap your mind around why Jesus came to earth. John, would you play that for me?
The man I'm talking about was not a Scrooge now. He was a kind, a decent, a mostly good man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men, but he just did not believe in all of that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just did not make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm just not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay home, but that he would wait up for them. So he stayed, and they went to the midnight service. Now, shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his fireside chair, began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, then yet another. At first he thought somebody must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled out there miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm in a desperate search for shelter. They had tried to fly through his large landscape window. That was what had been making the sound. Well, he couldn't let those poor creatures just lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter. All he would have to do is direct the birds into that shelter. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn, and he opened the doors wide. And inside the barn, he turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. So he figured that food would entice them. He went back into the house and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled those on the snow, making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds just continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He could not. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction, every direction except into the warm-lighted barn. And that's when he realized that they were afraid of him. They were afraid of him. To him, he reasoned, I'm a strange, terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them but to help them. But how? Any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. And he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird now, if I could be a bird and mingle with them, and speak their language and tell them not to be afraid, then I could show them the way to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to be one of them, wouldn't I? So they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears. 
above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells. Adeste Fidelis. Listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. Paul Harvey, I hope for you and those you love, this will be a wonderfully Merry Christmas. You see, we live in a fallen world. This verse, this passage, John 3, 17, tells it very clearly. He mentions three times in verse 17 that we live in a fallen world. In this world that he mentions, the world that is full of school shootings, like we saw this week, the, the economic roller coasters that go up and down, the, the ability to be able to turn on your TV or your radio or your smartphone or whatever and just have whatever junk you want pumped into it. This is the fallen world that we live in. And it's, it's not just the junk that is out there, but it's the junk that is in here. It's the, the fact that a, a man like me knows what is right and chooses not to do it or knows what is wrong and chooses to do it anyway. That is a fallen world that we live in. And Jesus came because he wanted to bring us to safety, not to allow us to stay in this condemned state, but instead to save us from that. And we couldn't have done it any other way any other way had he not come down and taken our place you see we have to remember that as it says in this verse for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him this world is not ours it is god's world everything here is his he is the owner we are just tenants that are merely staying here for a short time it is his food that we eat it is his land that we live on. It is his money that we spend. It's all his. And if it were me, honestly, if it were me and I were God and be thankful that I am not, I'd say, forget it. You're condemned. You keep blowing it over and over and over again. But God, in his love and in his, mus in his mercy, he, he, he took justice because he is a god of justice and he put it with mercy now we see those two things as complete opposites but in god they're one his love and mercy and his justice went together and we see them intersect at the cross you see we had to be condemned we had to be there's a penalty to pay and in his love he figured out a way to pay that penalty for us by sending his son the love and the mercy and the justice and the condemnation all intersect at the cross. And that is why Jesus came. Romans 3, 23 through 26 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that all is all of us. And all are justified freely by His grace, not by anything that we've done, but by His grace, through the redemption that came not by baptism, not by good works, not by anything but Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance. He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus.
See, Christmas is the coming of Jesus. It's God's way of being with us and being for us. If we believe. See, he who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. My challenge to you today, if you do not believe, today is the day. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful that you, in your love and mercy, would pour out your wrath and condemnation, not on us, but on your son as an atoning sacrifice. It's so hard for us to wrap our mind around, but even as we see it in the parable of the man with the birds, it had to be done because we would be too afraid if you came down in any other form. And God, you have led us to safety. You have led us to eternal life. You have led us to a life after this life that is spent in your presence. But God, we have the ability to choose, and you've given us that. We can choose to believe, or we can choose to believe you're just a figment of our imagination, that you're just there so we can have some hope on this earth. God, I pray for everybody in this room. I pray for them as they are dealing with that. I am praying for them as maybe this week they will run into somebody who is dealing with that very question, and God, now they have the answer. That the reason why you came was to die and raise again for us. God, as we ponder that today, as we sing even these last songs, may we take this to heart, ask the questions that are necessary, and answer the questions that are also necessary throughout this week. I pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to step over here. If you have any questions for me, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to be able to, to chat and, and uh, help you understand as best as I can why Jesus came and explain to you about the salvation that comes with it.